Romans chapter 5, and he's talking and laying out doctrinally about salvation. And he is teaching this church here in Romans, which uh, had a lot of Jewish or Jews or saved Jews and of course, Jews believed in the law. They had uh, kept the law, and the law of Moses had been given to them uh, and through, uh, through Moses, and they had practiced it. And they were having a hard time trying to let go of trying to do the works of the law uh, for salvation. And they just kept thinking that you had to be circumcised after the manner of Moses and keep the law before you could be a candidate for the grace of God. And they were just a little messed up. And, and why they were is we didn't have a completed Bible. And they had been raised a certain way. And I, I find that to be true today. A lot of times people, depending on their background, how they were raised, they have sometimes they have trouble letting go of some of the things that maybe they were taught that are not necessarily biblically true. And therefore, in the eyes of a pastor or a teacher, it takes some patience. It takes long suffering. Uh, You've you got to be patient with these people. They allow the Holy Spirit time to work. And the Apostle Paul is doing that uh, here. But he's laying these things out uh, doctrinally for these folks. Now, let's get it here. And verse 1, he says, Now, therefore, and that word means in light of what I've just said, he had built a, uh, an argument, and he says, Now, therefore, because of what I've said, being justified by faith. That word justified means just as if I had not sinned. You can break it down like that. In the eyes of Christ, when you get saved, He justifies you. You do not have to work for justification in the eyes of God. The only way to be justified in the eyes of God is by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ and having Him apply His blood to your account. That's what justifies the believer. The law Keeping the law, keeping the golden rule will not justify you. It will not help you in the eyes of God. Now, it makes you a good moral person and, and you'll be pleasant to be around, but it will not enter you into uh, heaven. You have to be justified. And that's what he's laying down. He told him, he said, you're going to be justified by faith. Now, that's an important uh, verse there. And we're getting ready to get into that in Romans chapter 12. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, about verse 3 or 4, he says that God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. Every human being that gets born, matter of fact, let me read it uh, for you so you know where it's at. It's in Romans chapter 12, and he says in verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Every man gets a measure of faith. Now how you choose to invest the faith God has given you will determine your eternity. Some men decide to invest their faith into evolution. And it does take more faith to believe in evolution than it does in the finished work of Christ. Some men decide to invest their faith into atheism. They're going to believe in themselves. But then some men... When they hear the gospel, they decide to invest their faith, the faith that God has given them, into the finished work of Christ. And he says that's how a man gets justified, by grace through faith. Faith is the medium. Again, we have nothing to brag about because God has given us that faith to believe in Him. Amen. 
And he says, by whom also, I'm back in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith, amen, unto his, this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen and amen. I think it was Charles Spurgeon that says this, when an individual is born again, God takes them and places them into God's ocean of grace. Amen. And we have access to God's ocean of grace because of the blood and the finished work of Christ. I don't know how the lost world handles it. I guess they just got to take more pills. But I'm going to tell you something. Something kind of nice when you're born again and God places you into the ocean of grace. And he says that his grace is sufficient. Then he says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation, it worketh patience. Don't pay, pray for patience, because God will give you tribulation. Or pray for it if you need more patience. But I will tell you, it's a biblical truth. If you pray for patience, God will give you tribulation. Because the principle is, tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love Toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be, here's our phrase, saved from, amen, saved from wrath through Him. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank You now today. Lord, uh, help us this morning. As we look to the Word of God, Lord, help us uh, to be able to uh, understand what happens to us uh, when we get saved and, and what we're saved from. And Lord, help us to draw comfort and rejoicing from that. For you would have the Holy Spirit comfort us in these things. Lord, if there's somebody that's not saved today, maybe they don't know what they've been saved from. They're not born again. Lord, let the Holy Spirit work in their heart. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, most Christians, and I don't mean this in a very in a mean way, most Christians are ignorant of what has happened to them when they got saved. Now, sometimes that's the fault of the church that they're in because their pastor never taught them. Or maybe their pastor doesn't know. He should. The Bible is clear to say that your pastor should not be a novice. That means he should have a firm grip on what happens to you uh, and firm grip on the Scriptures to be able to teach you and help guide you in your walk with Christ. But I find today many Christians are ignorant of what happened to them when they got saved or what they're actually saved from. I think the generic answer or one of the right answers would be, well, I'm saved from hell. And that's right, you are. Because you're saved, you will never have to worry about going to a devil's hell. Uh, after all, the Bible is clear to tell us that God created the hell, hell for the devil and his angels. So if man goes there, he will be there as an intruder. And yes, any man or any woman, any child that rejects Christ, that's where you go. I mean, after all, if you don't want God, why would you want God's heaven? 
But you will be an intruder throughout all eternity in, the, in hell and then after the great white throne, the, the lake of fire. Because you chose to invest your faith into something besides God and salvation. And therefore, you will be rejected. So yeah, that would be a right answer, but it's more than that. Let me read you a verse of scripture. Because it goes along with what we're studying this morning. The Bible says in Colossians 1, about verse 26... And I introduced this to the Sunday school class. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, a lot of folks, and I get to ask this question a lot of times, why is there so many different denominations and so many different beliefs? I will tell you why. Uh, it's because people do not have a firm grip on the Word of God, and they're ignorant. That's why the Bible says, don't be ignorant of this mystery. This was a mystery. It's not now, but it was. And you can't be cloudy. It's a fundamental basic that when you get saved, Christ comes to live on the inside. And he's sealed until the day of redemption. And so this is important for the believer to know. That's why some people believe they can lose their salvation. Because they think that they're keeping their salvation. But the Bible is clear that God is the author and finisher of our salvation. God is keeping what we have committed unto him against that day. We cannot keep our salvation. We could not attain our own salvation. Boy, that's a lesson on love there. God said some men would die uh, for another man. Some men would die for a good person. But God, he died for all mankind. Even though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God. And as I thought about this this week on the goodness of God and, and, and how God is. And people want to make a, 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 a monster out of God. I'm going to tell you, our God that we serve is a good God. I enjoy many blessings today that I do not deserve. God is good uh, to us every day, all day, and is good in our lives. And if we just acknowledge Him, and if we'll serve Him, and if we'll be in the Word of God and try to be pleasing in His eyes, He'll shine on us with favor. And oh, He is a rewarder of all them that do justly. But it brings us to this question. What are we saved from, preacher? When I got saved, I got saved from hell. I mean, that's what did it for me. I heard preacher preach on hell, and, and, and it, it kind of scared me a little bit because I don't want to go there. It kind of woke me up to reality that there is life after death, and I don't want to go there. And Jesus said that if you accept me because I'm the way, the truth, and the life, if you go my way, and it's a straight way, but it is a narrow way, that you will have life everlasting. And I believed in that. And now I am investing my faith, and I believe in Christ. I rest on Christ and Him alone because I don't want to go to a devil's hell. That's a good motivator. There's nothing wrong with that. I didn't want to die and go to hell as a six-year-old boy. I didn't want to do that. And you say, well, I don't believe we should scare our kids. Well, let me tell you something. A little old-fashioned fear of God is not going to hurt anybody. Matter of fact, the Bible says there in Jude, he says that some will get saved because of compassion. You'll have compassion on them, and it brings them to Christ. But some you will have to save through fear. 
You as an individual and I as an individual are motivated by one of two things, what you love and what you fear. And that's why I love Jenny a whole lot, because I fear her a lot. No. <laughs> but that is a truth. It's a truth statement. You're motivated by what you love or what you fear. I both fear and love Christ. I feared an eternity in the lake of fire as a six-year-old boy. I did not want to have to die at the age, of, knowing I was at the age of accountability, knowing that I had been born into sin, knowing that it was Adam's transgression that had come on to me, and I had to deal with it. But God had made a way for me to deal with it, and simply by coming to Him and trusting in Him and asking Him to live inside of me, been a beautiful journey. So yeah, we are saved from hell. But I want to get just a little deeper this morning and use the Word of God to do that. What are we saved from, preacher? Number one, we're saved from the penalty of sin. We've kind of been talking about that. Sin has a wage. Any sin that you commit, it pays a wage. The Bible is clear to say in Romans 6, 23, for the wages, now that's a wage as in if you work, you get wages. The wages of sin is death. And there it is. You say, well, I've done a lot of sinning, but I'm not dead yet. Well, there's more to this life than just what you can see in the physical eye. There's a spirit, and there's a soul, and there's life hereafter. And so don't be so narrow-minded as to think that you've done a lot of sinning, but yet you're not dead yet. Adam, the devil, give that a line of thinking to Eve and to Adam. When they ate the fruit, they died that day. But yet you say, or the skeptic would say, but he lived another 800 years or 900 years after that. He didn't die, but he did die spiritually. And by the way, Adam never made a thousand years old. And God says he counts time a thousand years of man is one day with God. There in Peter. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin. God paid the penalty of sin. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God to reconcile us, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. As I said, sin it has a wage, and its wage is death. Death is eternal punishment in the lake of fire. Take your Bible, if you would, quickly to Revelations 21. Revelations 21, about verse 8. But the fearful and the unbelieving, there it is. That's somebody that says, I just don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in salvation. I don't believe in church. I don't believe it's important. Well, this is where you're heading. The Bible is giving you a prophecy. You say, preacher, I don't like that. It's not happy. I understand, but it's called reality, and we must deal with this. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
That's called the lake of fire after the great white throne judgment. You could tie that in with Isaiah chapter 66. And I want to say verse 23, 24. And I threw that in there if you're taking notes. Because I, uh, there was some uh, information that come across my uh, uh, smartphone device this week. You want to call it for that. That there's a, a great um, new teaching that hell is not eternal. And this guy tries to prove that the Bible never tells you that you, if you do go to hell, that it's forever. I, I, look, the Bible is so very clear that if you wake up after death and find yourself in the lake of fire, you are not getting out. It is forever. You don't get annihilated. You will literally burn forever in agony. In torture, craving water and not able to get any. It's dark and it's very, very wicked down there. The Bible is clear on that. So anybody try to teach that, well, hell, you're not going to hell forever. That is a false doctrine. That is a heresy. That is demonic. The devil would try to deceive you that maybe you might go to hell for a while, but it wouldn't be forever. Look, if you reject Jesus and you don't allow Jesus uh, to pardon you and to pay your sin debt, you will spend an eternity in the lake of fire. So when you get saved, you are saved from the penalty of sin. The sin debt must be paid. God does not pretend that sin does not have a wage. When you get saved, God doesn't just pretend like, okay, nothing happened and, and, and put it on the rug. No, it had a wage. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes are we healed. For every sin that man has done, it was another stripe on the back of our lovely Lord Jesus Christ. God, in manifested in the flesh, paid the penalty of sin for you and I. What a wonderful thing. Because we could not pay that penalty. So we're saved from the penalty of sin. We will never have to deal or worry with sin at the judgment. Matter of fact, Christian, you do not have to worry about the great white throne judgment. There is called a judgment seat of Christ where we will give an account for what we've done for Christ after salvation. But it is not has nothing to do with sin because the penalty of sin has been paid. Now, don't read into that more than what I just said. Some people take from that and say, well, I guess because sin's been paid and I've accepted Jesus, I can just live it up. Sin it up because I don't, you just said I didn't have to pay for it. You don't want me to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do you? Because God said he chasteneth every son whom he loveth. And God said, yes, we still sin after we get saved, and we need to be careful how we live. And if we do sin, he said, we need to confess it and put it under the blood of Christ. And if we don't take care of it, he's going to take care of it while we're living here. Why? Because he's not holding us to the condemnation of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, about verse 20, 22, 23, right in there. So don't walk away from this saying, well, now that I'm saved, I can just sin all I want. Nope. The second point is we're saved from the power of sin. Not only were you saved from the penalty of sin, but now that you're born again, you're saved from the power of sin. In Romans chapter 6, we're right here. Look with me in verse 7. He says, well, verse 1 is good. He says, what 
Shall we say then, because these people had the same answer, if you was to back up to verse 21 in chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now, don't walk away from that and say, well, then, however bad I sin, there's more grace. And there's more grace for the people that sin more. Well, he's getting ready to deal with that because that's the first obvious response. Because most people approach Scripture in the Christian life like some of the boys did Wednesday night. What's the least we got to do and still get a passing grade when it comes to learning memory verses? Now, before you laugh at them too hard... We're all like that, aren't we? I remember years ago in the business, I learned real quick I had to have general liability insurance. You know what my first question was? What's the state minimum requirement? <laughs> Why pay insurance on something you're never going to need? Get the state required amounts. So I'm legal. That's how we approach things, ain't it? And that's how these people were approaching it. But he says that sin, as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. So he says, what? Shall we say then, shall we continue in sin? That was what their question was. Well, then let's, let's go ahead and sin it up. He says, shall we go ahead and continue in sin that grace may abound? It looks to me, preacher, what you're preaching is the more sin and I do, the more grace from God I get. I sure love that grace. Uh oh. Verse 2. I hope it ain't been tore out of your Bible or blotted out. God forbid. Straight up. Short answer. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see, when you get saved, there's something supernatural that happens to you on the inside, and God sets you free from the power of sin. Let me tell you something. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you intended to stay, and it always costs you more than you wanted to pay. I wish I was the guy that originated it, but it's not. It was one of the great preachers of years gone by, but it is a biblical truth. Sin, when you get to dabbling with it and playing with it it attaches to you it puts a cord on you it puts a chain on you it puts you and incarcerates you puts you behind bars and then controls you and God sets you free the moment you get saved from the power of sin verse 7 for he that is dead is freed from sin look with me at verse 14 for sin shall not have dominion over you. Dominion is something that is given to a king. In chapter 5, there are four kings that rule. Sin and death, grace and righteousness. You get to choose which two kings are going to rule in your life. If you're lost, sin and death. That's why I always tell my folks that I work with that are dealing with addictions, you will never break or stop an addiction from the outside in. The best you can hope for is to train a, trade a bad addiction for one less bad. You can turn over a leaf for a little while, but you cannot get full control over that until you are born again. Addictions. There's a power to them. The devil tries to control us. But in the life of a believer, grace should be reigning. Righteousness should be reigning. And he has set us free from the power of sin. Now sin, the reason he says this, 
is sin can, it can only rule in your life if you want it to. Some Christians decide, I know I'm saved, but they're like Ahab. I want to serve Baal a little. Baal's that false god, and I promise you one of these days I'm going to preach on that subject. They're identifying as Christ, or they say they do, but they want to serve Baal a little. Let me tell you something, Christian. That is something you do, and you make the choice after you get saved. Because after salvation, you've been set free from the power of sin. It does not have to control you. You do not have to answer to it. But you do answer to God. But it's a willing choice. And there, as my pappy said, I get a kick out of this. Some of the little stuff my dad said when I was a kid and I now use. And this was one of the phrases he used because in my life, as I was growing up, as every kid is, we're always big into these things that are free. Well, Dad, they said we get a free meal if we do this and we do that. And Dad, my old pappy used to say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. There isn't. There's no sense. You say, well, I got a free lunch. It costs somebody something somewhere. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Now, follow my thinking. Don't eat the devil's cornbread and expect it to be free. As a child of God, owned by God, with grace and righteousness reigning in your life, don't you go sit down at the table of the devil and eat the devil's cornbread and expect it to be free because it won't be there's a lot of people that are truly born again that go crawling back because the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is just too much because it works off your lustful desire and they're eating cornbread at the devil's table because he told them it was free and it's not he will control you there's always a price but you're saved from the pool of Satan. The Bible says in Acts 26, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them, talking to us Gentiles, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Satan is a deceiver. That's what he does. He tries his best to blind mankind to the light of the glorious gospel there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He does not want you to trust Jesus. He does not want the Holy Spirit of God to be able to enlighten you enough to see the gospel that it is real that it is true and that you need it he wants to blind your eyes today and when you get saved God takes you and saves you from the pool of Satan from the power of darkness into the power of light Satan pulls people to him now, what I'm getting ready to say, and again, the Apostle Paul's laying this all down, and God laid it all down for us because Christians sometimes make wrong choices. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're never going to sin again or fall again or have problems again. That was... That is a misconception that people try to preach that once you get saved, all your problems are over. 
Now maybe those preachers mean well, and maybe they're in the context of eternity. But let me tell you something. When you get saved, all holy hell is going to break loose in your life. When you try to decide to take a stand for Jesus, the devil's going to jump on you with both feet and all the imps of hell to try to stop you and to pull you back to him, just like Pharaoh did to the children of Israel. Boy, Pharaoh got mad when the children of Israel come out of there. God delivered them. And they got up next to the Red Sea. And here he come roaring up out of Egypt after them. Amen. That's what happens to 90% of Christians today. They first get saved and they're all excited. They get to serving God. They get to come into church for a little bit. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh comes up out of Egypt on them. And it scares them to death. And they find out that if they bow down back to Satan and go back into Egypt into bondage, it calms down. And they think that's right because we've been programmed to think following God is always peaceful. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The closer you get to God, the more problems from the devil you're going likely to have. I've experienced more headache, heartache, and problems these last 10 years than the average everyday Christian. You don't want to know why? The devil is bent on me not pastoring. I think the devil's bent on not having a Bible-believing church in this location. Why? He don't like what we're doing. He don't like what we're preaching. And he doesn't like that family unity, that family togetherness that we have. He don't like that. And... The point I'm getting ready to make, if the devil can't scare you into not serving God, he'll pay you. There's a lot of people, they'll get blessed. They think they're getting blessed from God. And the whole time, the devil is paying them not to get more serious with God. You want to know why? Because every separate individual is connected to 250 people that the person next to them is not connected to and they have an impact and an influence on those people's lives. And the devil can knock you out. He can get them too. He's got a good chance of it. The devil plays the numbers game. The devil plays the end game. And he has a tremendous pull. And if he can't get you by fear and scaring you, then he'll pay you. Not every blessing comes from God. And you've got to learn how to discern that. So if he can't make your life hard so that you quit on God, he'll pay you. And if that, he does that by pulling you through your own lust. The devil knows us better than we know ourselves. He'll get you through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. One of those three things is he's going to get you because you'll have a weakness. You either in the lust of the flesh... That's that burning desire to do. I just want to do it. And the only day I got to do it is Sunday, God's day. Be careful with that, Christian. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. That could be the devil trying to pull you back to him. Be careful with that. Now, I'm not against vacations. I'm not against taking some time off. I'm not against spending time with the family. Don't you get me wrong. But if you're just laying up on the couch watching some old western on tv and not assembling with the body of christ there's a problem the devil could be pulling you 
through the lust of the flesh. I just want to do this. Oh, preacher, you just don't understand. Gun smoke only comes on one time a year. I got to do this. It's a marathon. I get it. I get it. I understand it. Preacher, you just don't understand. The flavor of wheat down here is peanut butter. The only time I got to eat it before six. I got it. I got to run my 10 miles. I get it. Can't you do that between services? Be careful with that lust of the flesh. The devil's trying to pull you. We've been saved from that. How about the lust of the eye? Oh, I got to have it, got to have it, got to have it, got to have it. And I believe in working because my old pappy says, if you want it, you got to work for it. So guess what? I'm working double overtimes to get it because I got to have it. Watch out. Money ain't everything. And I promise you, money can't buy happiness. You say, it sure makes me happy when I got it. Yes, thinking about this, yesterday as I was doing some meditation on anxieties and depressions, some of my darkest days, most depressed days in my life, I remember them like they were yesterday. And I, I don't suffer a lot with depression, maybe anxieties, but not depression. I'm not a depressed person, more happy-go-lucky, optimistic <laughs> most of the time. Some of the happiest days, or the saddest days, the darkest days, were when I had more money in the bank than I'd ever had before. And I'm talking over forty, fifty thousand dollars as of running a business. It's kind of nice to deposit a forty-six, forty-seven to fifty thousand dollar check. It's kind of nice depositing a two hundred thousand dollar check. And I'm not bragging. I'm gonna tell you, I don't care to do that because those were some very depressing days because the mind immediately begins to think well you know you're not going to be able to keep that you know you can't hang on to that you know it's going out and then you begin like I do I borrow worry in the future <laughs> money can't buy you happiness be careful with that lust of the eye how about the pride of life a lot of people fall to this one the pull of Satan. He pulls you. That longing desire to be somebody. Do we not all deal with we want recognition? We want people to view us that we are somebody? Yeah. We don't want to be a no-name in life, don't we? Pastors suffer from that. I've, I've struggled with that. You know, there was a time I thought, you know, I think my talents are being wasted. I'm just being honest with you this morning. The devil is tricky. Your talents are being wasted. The way you know the Bible, you could teach in a Bible college. You could do this, you could do that. But nobody knows who you are. Christian, watch out for that. That's the devil trying to pull you. It doesn't matter what you are in the eyes of men it matters what you are in the eyes of God don't let the devil pull you we're saved from the pull of Satan we're saved from the practice of holiness I must hurry Galatians 1 says who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world oh we've been saved from the practice of worldliness ecumenical that's a term of the day. 
It means promoting unity by blending worldly philosophy with biblical truths. There's no place for that according to Romans chapter 12. He says, and be not conformed to this world. That, that word conform means to be like suited. Don't adopt the persona of the world in your life. They don't want doctrinal teaching. The practice of worldliness, we're not to worship in the world's spirit. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2, 12, chapter 2, verse 12. We're not to worship in the world's style, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says that we let no man spoil you through philosophy. Boy, there's a lot of man's philosophies that's been incorporated into different worship styles and some of the modern day churches. And what they got is nothing more than a glorified rock and roll concert. And I got news for you, it has no place in the house of God. We are not to adopt the practice of worldliness in our worship. I don't care that we don't appeal to the world. The Bible told us we're not going to be popular with the world. The world hates the cross. And they hate our worship style. So what, men, what does, do preachers do and churches do? Let's get more fun for the world. Let's incorporate worldliness into it. And then we'll sneak up on them with the gospel. I've actually listened to people try to teach that. It's a philosophy in churches. We'll get them here through a concert, a rock and roll concert, worldliness. I mean, we'll sing songs that have Jesus in it. And then... At the end, while people are walking out, we'll tell them a little bit about Jesus. We're not to practice the world's worship style. We're not to practice and, and worship in the world's spirit. And we're not to worship in the world's dirt. This philosophy is, well, you can just live however lifestyle you want, and it's all okay. No, you can live whatever lifestyle you want, but I pray that you come and know Christ, and God cleans you up from that. God pulls you out of the hog pen. We're not to come to church to wallow in the devil's dirt. You know, God demands sanctification. He says over there, be a holy as I am holy. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God is to visit the widows, to visit the fatherless, and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. We've been saved from the practice of worldliness. I think this is important. Hopefully it will encourage you. We've been saved from the period of the tribulation. We're not going to have to go through the tribulation. If you would, take your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll show it to you. Because I know it to be popular in this area. Most people, or a lot of people, let me say a lot of people, they're all what we call an all-millennialist. They, they don't believe in a rapture. They believe that we are going to stay here through the tribulation and the world's getting better and actually the kingdom of God is already working in us and that's that's because they don't take literally the word of god but let me show you what your bible says first thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to god from idols to serve the living and true god there he's covering repentance 
and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The church of Thessalonians thought they were in the tribulation. That's why he wrote this. They thought they were living in the tribulation. They were under severe persecution and thought they had missed the rapture. And he says, no, when you get saved, you've been delivered from the wrath to come. Now take your Bible to Revelation 14. Because the question would be, well, then what's the wrath to come? I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I know I've been just a hair long. Yeah, a little long. Revelations 14, verse 10. The book of Revelation is a revealing that the church gets raptured out by chapter 3, chapter 4, and then he tells us what's getting ready to happen in the, in the future, which we call the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. But here's what your Bible and God calls this time, verse 10. Go to verse 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast, that's the Antichrist getting ready to come up, and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, it's not a vaccine, sorry, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath. There you see it. You see that? The wrath of God. He's calling this tribulation time period the wrath of God. What did our Bible tell us in 1 Thessalonians? We're, we're delivered from the wrath of God that's getting ready to be poured out. Now, go to Revelations 15. You're right there. Verse 7, he says it again. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the what? Wrath of God. Again, he refers to this tribulation time period as the wrath of God. He says it again in, in uh, Revelation 16, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God. He told us, and you and I that are saved today, that He has delivered us. He has saved us from this wrath to come. Now, if that don't make you a little happy today... Your wood's wet. You should, there should be something down inside of you. Just You know what? <laughs> Boy, that's nice. I don't have to go to the tribulation. Amen. God, and John was in heaven, by the way, who is part of the body of Christ. God raptured him up, showing us what he's going to do to the church, and he was showing him these things. But he spared us from the wrath to come. Now, here's why. This Bible is clear to tell us that we're the bride of Christ. And how dare people accuse Jesus of being a wife abuser? God is not going to beat up with his wrath through the tribulation time period, his bride, and then rapture her out after he beats on her a while. That is goofed up theology. That's because somebody has not thought these things through because they're ignorant of the mystery of Christ in you. They're ignorant of what has happened to them. I didn't say stupid, I said ignorant. Ignorance can be fixed. That's why I said be not ignorant. It's, it's, it's not making fun of somebody. I'm ignorant of a lot of things. I couldn't tell you how to make pancakes or biscuits. I have to go find a recipe. I'd actually hire Jenny or I'd con Jenny. I'd play her a game of Uno, a couple games. If I win, I'm king of all the land in the world. <laughs> if she wins, well, you know what that means. 
<laughs> She's king, <laughs> queen. <laughs> My point is, we serve a good God. And it's kind of nice to know that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been saved from the power of sin. We've been saved from the practice of worldliness. We've been saved from the wrath to come. Beautiful. I think I left one out. Pull of Satan. See how tricky he is? Watch out. But you've been delivered from that. Oh, so great a salvation. Christ paid the cost. If any man will come and drink the water of life, he offers it freely. Oh, man. The Lord says that then there would be wells of water springing up within you. How do you lose something that keeps bubbling up? <laughs> you can't. Let's all stand this morning.